I'm Alexis. And I'm Oscar. And we're here to do what we do, I would say, most every day. Probably every day. And that is talk about Meryl Streep. Um, We are deep in the throes of quarantine. Mm -hmm. And we are deep in the throes of quarantine boredom. And we decided, like any rational human beings, to make a podcast. Because we are just that sure that people will really want to listen to what we have to say about the inimitable... Meryl Streep. <laughs> um, so this is Marathon, and this is just a fun podcast and something for us to do. And I hope that if you're listening, you love Meryl Streep just as much as we do. And we're just going to kind of go through Meryl Streep's filmography, one film at a time, in no just particular random, order. Yeah. <laughs> just completely random. Um, and... We're going to have a good time with it, you guys. Like, we're not professional film critics. I don't know if you could tell by our tone of voice or um, our film repertoire, but um, we're mostly here. I would say, Oscar, you are kind of um, the pop culture side of things. Would Mm -hmm. you agree? Sure. (laughs) You have more of um, Meryl Streep's infusion into our culture culture whereas maybe i have a better grasp on film film aspects of it yeah Yeah. again neither of us are necessarily experts i would say um but here we go so oscar what was the moment when you realized that meryl streep was an icon a legend and a star for sure when i was a a kid and saw her in Mamma Mia for the first Mama time. Mamma Mia, I was going to say the, the exact first same film thing. I've ever seen her in. I also believe that Mamma Mia was the first film I ever seen her in. Mm-hmm. We had that DVD and we played it so many times. In the CD, in the <laughs> car, all the time. <laughs> the CD, oh yeah, the CD for singing. I remember just the pure emotion that she infused into slipping through my fingers. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I said, that's acting. I said, that is acting, period. 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 And. I think that that having that as our introduction to Meryl Streep is a very millennial slash Gen Z experience, mm-hmm. and that we experienced her more as Donna, as a singer, sure. as a person in a musical, more than a prestige actress. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're kind of coming her, coming into her as a cultural icon more than I don't know professional like actress. a highfalutin like a you know exactly yeah. i think that she's an actress for everyone i think that mm-hmm. she's a populist actress i'll say it and i think that mama mia is some of her best work sophie's choice bye i haven't seen the film so i can't say that oscar do you want to talk about your experience with sophie's choice <laughs> i think that it's good that you air out all of your dirty laundry uh, as a Meryl street podcast does <laughs> i started watching it maybe about a year ago I got half an hour into it, and I just cannot finish it. It was <laughs> so boring. <laughs> but we will be finishing it on Marathon, because that's what you guys are asking for. Um, so the movie we are here to talk about today is Heartburn. Heartburn. So, Heartburn. Heartburn came out in 1986, and it is written by Nora, Nora Ephron, directed by Mike Nichols, starring... Meryl Streep. I don't know if you've Meryl heard Streep. of her. She's... Up-and-coming actress. Kind of, yeah. Um, kind of underrated. Um, and then Jack Nicholson as a few other, you know, stalker Channing. From Greece. From Greece. From the West Wing. Um, a young Catherine O'Hara who has reached fame on Schitt's Creek. 
And I think significantly playing her daughter, Annie, her real daughter, Mamie mm-hmm. Gummer, who is now an actress. How exciting is that? No one ever t- talks about it. No never, one ever talks about this. About it no one ever talks about this film. And honestly, it makes me irate. Let's talk about Nora Ephron. I would say one of the greatest writers in film history, and I'll say that, and I'm not afraid to say it, because I think that... Black legend. (laughs) I think that her film, When Harry Met Sally, is the epitome of the modern romantic comedy. And I think that... I just think that she's underrated and that more people need to talk about her. And Mike Nichols, I mean, talk about one of the greatest directors of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Directed The Graduate, as many people know. Also directed a little film we might be discussing next week, Postcards from the Edge. But that's a spoiler. Oh, gosh. We can't let the audience know too early. So, Oscar. um, Like you said, I had never heard of this one before. Which I thought was wild because it features so many of my favorite people. So many. And it was really good. What What was your opinion watching it after it happened? I thought it was different. Um... She was a brunette. She was a brunette. Extremely significant. I said, I don't know if this is the male that I know and love. Perhaps. What, <laughs> what else was your opinion on the film? Um, lots of iconic scenes. So many That I've never scenes. seen before. Never heard of. No. Never I, seen GIFs of. Absolutely. GIFs, whatever you want to say. Never seen fan cams of. Mm-hmm. I, I said, why isn't this part of the scenes that we talk about when we talk about Meryl? Why mm. isn't it the Mamma Mia scene in Mamma Mia? You know? What? Why isn't it the that's all scene in The Devil Wears Prada? Mm. The scene where, and this is a spoiler alert, but I hope that you guys would have been prescient enough to understand that A, we were making a Meryl Streep podcast and B, this is the first movie we would cover which obviously makes sense because it is uh, extremely obscure. (laughs) Um, But the scene where she puts a pie onto Jack Nicholson's face, I think, was the epitome of iconography. Would you agree? Yeah. We can't tell them probably about why she did it. No. That would be a spoiler. But just be prepared for your... It's just so unexpected... Oh, just be prepared to just worship Meryl in a way that I think you never have before. So let's just talk a little bit about what the movie is about because it seems like we've raved enough about it without providing any explanation. So basically this movie is a semi-autobiographical, but mostly autobiographical, autobiographical story of Nora Ephron and Carl Bernstein, who you might know because he was one of the writers featured in All the President's Men, played by Dustin Hoffman, that broke the story of Watergate. Uh, and Nora Ephron and he were married for a while. And he was later revealed to have an affair with a British socialite and government worker. And it was a big scandal. But that's well-known information, Oscar. People, of course, know a lot about Nora Ephron's life. Um, so anyways, basically this movie is about Rachel Samstadt and Mark Foreman. And they meet. And I think what's so significant about this film is that unlike movies, like typical rom-coms, and I would not qualify this as a rom-com. Do you agree? No. More dramatic, for sure. I would say dramedy. Like, there are definitely significant moments. It's not super romantic, as you'll find as you watch it. Absolutely. I think the burn part of heartburn is really there. Um, (laughs) just mostly burn Um, and I think that it really does this interesting thing where instead of focusing on the courtship on like the meet cute which they do have but it comes so quickly into the film it jumps into marriage so quickly 
that I think can be extremely jarring, right? When I watched it, I said, what's going on? Yeah, they skip around a lot. The just, time jumps are significant. Because most rom-coms will have, like, little bits of the relationship, but this just skips around all the time. Right. It covers so much of their life, and I found that to be jarring, especially in consideration of Nora Ephron's other films, which, you know, like Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, that's all the traditional rom-com formula. And it's interesting to me that this was um, a precursor to all, all of those films. But basically, um, they meet, they get married, the marriage scene is really significant i would yes. say it's very early in the film and also this and film is on amazon prime for sure for sure so important later in the film because you're like what's going on mm-hmm. but then you're like oh i know what's going on so it's on amazon prime and i would i don't know i would highly suggest people watch this movie for sure i think that is so important to understanding meryl and we can talk about that later about this film and her career but um she is very hesitant to marry mark very. rachel is she she's kind of questioning she's on her bed it's a, it's a new york wedding i love this wedding i've decided that this is the way i want to get married i'm it's, it's in a house not a church it's in a house and every it's just so new york it's so new york she's just lying prone on her bed pondering life and there's just a succession of people that come in to tell her that she should get married and she's like finally okay right but i think that we'll see it's a precursor to some issues that are definitely about to come so they move into this townhouse do you want to talk about this townhouse you're kind of a resident i would say um interior design expert do you want to talk about the situation with this townhouse it's a uh, very decrepit is it in new york or washington dc it's in washington, washington dc yeah they they move there rachel's from new york she's a new yorker born and bred but she moves to dc to be with mark because he's a political columnist right so then, it's a decrepit townhouse. They visit it with um, Stalker Channing's character. And can we talk about Stalker Channing for a quick second? Loved her. Loved her. She's Unexpected. Much, I did not know she was in it. Did not know she was in it. She's very much a Carrie Fisher and When Harry Met Sally figure. Too. For sure. Do you agree? This kind of, you know, she's definitely not the main character, but no. every scene she's in just brings this lightness. Light. And she has this relationship with Meryl Streep's character, Rachel, that is so, I think, emblematic of female friendships in other mm. Meryl films. And she wasn't Meryl's friend at the beginning. She was... Yeah, she kind of becomes her friend later because she's Mark's friend. Mark's originally And Mark's friend friends with her husband. Anyways, please talk about the townhouse. So they visit it and Stockard Channing's character. What's her name? Um, I'm getting there. You keep talking. <laughs> They're, um... Julie, Julie, Julie. Julie. Siegel, of course. Julie Siegel. Who's married to Richard. Married Richard to Richard. Siegel. So they visit this decrepit townhome and they're like... <laughs> Emphasis on decrepit people. <laughs> and they're like... Okay, Girl, right? They look at it, they're like, oh, there's dust everywhere. <laughs> it's just the worst. And they're like, oh, we have vision or whatever. <laughs> and uh, and it it's, it stays, <laughs> stays decrepit <laughs> for Varying degrees ages. of decrepit, I would say. They it, have multiple issues with their contractor. It could almost be like a symbolism for their... Uh, Wait, the relationship. relationship. Interesting, Oscar. I haven't thought about that before. The film criticism, I definitely think that even at the end of the film, when we see that a lot of their vision has been realized, I think it is it is a really beautiful home, right? It's, they I, have this for, beautiful... By the time they remodel it, finally, it becomes 
gorgeous. Yeah, they have this beautiful outdoor space mm-hmm. in a really significant part of the movie when Meryl discovers that her water has broken. She has to go to the hospital. Um, and she's like, um, make sure the lamb gets turned. I was like, this is a classic Meryl, right? This, uh, this harried woman who's still kind of forthright and knows herself and is like, turn the lamb, you know? I'm Ooh. going to get give birth, but the lamb, Period. let's focus on that. So I think that it is a gorgeous home, but it also causes a lot of strife in their relationship mm-hmm. from the beginning. Because Mark is kind of this ladies' man, right? right? He's kind of... Doesn't really care. Yeah. He's like, eh. He seems to really like Does... Rachel. Right. But he doesn't really seem like Caring. he takes her... Right. There's one, there's one part... Seriously. Of this decrepit home <laughs> where Meryl's like, oh, there's dust in my pores. And he just laughs at her. Yeah. Like it's a joke. And she's like, no, girl, there's, there's dust, dust in, in my pores. pores. <laughs> and I think that, that, again, is emblematic of their relationship. Um, Mark is kind of a hotshot in Washington. Mm-hmm. And Rachel has to go to all of these different um, social events mm-hmm. where she doesn't really know anyone. Mm-hmm. She's a food writer in New York. And she has these really cool friends, and she's suddenly thrown into Washington politics and gossip, which I think is portrayed literally in, by Catherine O'Hara's character, who I love. Did you love Catherine O'Hara? Yeah, the real housewife of <laughs> yeah. Washington, D.C. Literally. And she was so... She has a southern accent in the movie, and it is so stunning. I don't think she ever has her own scene. She's always in these big dinner scenes with all of their right, friends. Right. Um, but she is just a light in this movie, the same way Stalker Channing is, and I think the same way that Meryl is, where they just seem like these women that are kind of stereotypes or kind of archetypes, right? Right. Like, you know, okay, so you're like, okay, Catherine O'Hara's character, who, by the way, is Betty, um, (laughs) she's the southern socialite who gossips, but she's more than that, and Stalker Channing's character, Julie, is this kind of, like, neurotic always with her husband, you know, but she's more than that. She talks about, and I don't want to spoil the film, but later in the film, she and Meryl have some of the same issues in their relationship, I'll just say. And then I think Meryl, I just think what makes this film so special is that she is so complex, right? Right. And it is so hard to just feel one way about her. Right. Do you agree? Like Sometimes you feel bad for her. Sometimes you feel happy for her. And sometimes you're like, I don't think she's making the right decision. Right. Sometimes I think she's making a great decision for herself. Sometimes you're like, come on, Rachel, wake up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the whole time you can't deny that she is a real lived-in character. And I think that, A, that is part of the writing. I think Nora Ephron's writing is phenomenal. And I think that is part of the directing. And I think that is part of the performance. Um, can we talk about Jack Nicholson? How did you feel about Jack Nicholson in this film? Oh, he was the absolute worst. <laughs> I can't say I was expecting that reaction. I guess it could have been the character for me, right? Right. The character, I said, Carl Bernstein, trash, period. Right. Do you agree? If that's I the said, character he was going for, he played it great. <laughs> yeah, I said, but... if that's the guy that broke Watergate, take it back. <laughs> Put Nixon back in office. <laughs> Um, he, I mean, I think that he is pretty obviously pretty sleazy from the beginning. And I think that Rachel is so blind in love that she doesn't see that. And that's, I think, heartbreaking. You could say heartburning even. Um, that was a funny joke and I'm really upset that you didn't laugh at that. Um, 
Okay, we also need to discuss, and I won't discuss what he plays, but Kevin Spacey is in this film. Barely. Barely, but when I saw Kevin Spacey in this film, A, I thought he was John Cusack, and that's because my brain is fried, diseased, probably. <laughs> but then I said disgusting. So I just want to let people know that Kevin Spacey is inexplicably, I would say, in this film. He does not have a name, but he plays a role later in the film that I will not say, but he's trash in real life and in this movie. Period. Would you agree? Period. So basically, this film is about Mark and Rachel's relationship. They get married. They have a ton of babies. Meryl is always pregnant. Two? Two or three. I think it's just two. I think it's just two, but she's always pregnant, right? She's just, she's constantly with the bump. And I think she loves being pregnant, like she says in the movie. Like She loves being a mother. They go around the dinner table one time, and they rank how they describe themselves. And she first... I what I love that scene so much. She says, first, I'm a mother, mm-hmm. then a wife, and then a journalist. Yeah, and I think that that is so... This movie, 1986, it's coming at the end of the second wave of feminism, which I think is saying that, hey, like, if you're staying home with your kids, you're kind of, like, a bad feminist, right? right. And I think that what Meryl does so well in this movie is that she she is so gratified by motherhood that... It's not a critique on mothers who stay home. Like, she, she, later in the film, she does go back to food writing. But primarily, I would say that she's seen it in the film as a mother. Yes. And that she loves her role as a mother. And I think that we see that she's an absolutely great mother. And her some of her roles with Annie, who's again played by her real daughter, are some of my favorites. I think that you can totally tell. The chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. It's so organic and... Yeah, I love that scene, by the way. There's a scene where all of the Washington, D.C. friends go around and rank how they see themselves. Um, and what a great way to sit, like, just so quickly and succinctly talk about character and what people believe. Um, I think this is just an iconic role, and I wish people talked about it more. Do you agree? Um, Can we talk about the iconic scene where she finally realizes and a wake-up call? Yes, I. It's gonna be hard because again, I don't want to spoil the f- right. film, just, but it is oh. almost not the not the climax, but it's like it's a big realization. I would say it's it's maybe if there's two climaxes, it's definitely one. Right. It is so quintessentially Meryl. It is so physical. Do you under like the physicality mm-hmm. of it all? Again, not trying to spoil this film, but she is trying to find something. I would say evidence of something. Um, in her house, and she is... <laughs> I know, it's not... Oscar just gave me a look that said, huh? I know, that's kind of a spoiler. But um, she's rifling through everything, and the shower is running in the background. There's steam. There's steam. It's she's heavily pregnant. Her hair is frizzed crazy. up. She just ran out of a hairdresser. Absolutely. It's so... She's... Again, again, I think the word is iconic, and I think that it is so significant that Meryl has defined her way of doing things so early in her career right like this 86 is not that long after like out of africa and we can talk about like Meryl's history which i don't think either of us again are experts on but we've seen a youtube video we've read the wikipedia page um and i think that this is like after kramer versus kramer obviously and a lot of these roles that are just so prestige so she's well established but she as also a, as a prestigious actress, as a prestigious not actress. a dramedy actress. No, and not as an actress who plays 
I guess, normal people. She right. plays people with accents. She plays people, Sophie's Choice, she plays these women that are thrown into deep, deep tragedies. And I think what this film says is that, you know what? An everyday woman's life, an everyday woman's relationship with her father, of her children, with her children themselves, is tragic. And it can be important. And I think that what Nora Ephron does so well and what Meryl Streep does so well is that they lift women's stories and they make them priorities. And I love that about her. So on every episode of Marathon, we are going to try to rank movies that we've seen on this podcast. So not all of the Marathon movies we've seen in our lives. But it's pretty easy ranking because this is our first episode. It's number one. Obviously Heartburn, yeah. It's Heartburn, number one, cannot be beat. But I just wanted to establish that because that's going to be a segment, hopefully, from now on. Now to the more important segment. I think Meryl Streep's costuming is, again, I hate to say the word, we've said it so many times, iconic. Iconic. There are so many of her costumes. I'm talking about the overalls in Mamma Mia. I am talking about the... I mean, all of Miranda Priestley's are amazing. I think Ricky and the Flash has some really memorable outfits, right? I think later, as we'll see maybe in another episode, Postcards from the Edge has some really iconic ones. I'm talking about that police officer uniform. Stunning. Anyways, so we're each going to talk about our favorite costumes from this movie. My favorite... Again, this is going to be a challenge of our podcasting skills because it is an audio medium of... My favorite outfit from Heartburn is about, I would say, three quarters into the movie. Rachel takes a trip back to New York City, right? And she kind of hairily runs out for some errands, um, and she leaves her child at home. She's heavily pregnant, um, and she's wearing this long wooded necklace and this long kind of orange-yellow blouse with a blazer thrown over it. And this kind of cloth bag. And her hair is kind of willy-nilly. And to me, that is just, like, her character in this film. I think the costume is great. It's this kind of, like, hippie-ish, like, very mom-ish over her huge baby bump. But then she has this blazer thrown over it. And honestly, it is, yes, an outfit I would wear. Baby bump included. (laughs) Um, I love that costume. It stuck with me as really significant. And I think that it's a really powerful costume. Oscar, on to you. My favorite is kind of basic, I hate to say it, but the wedding dress from the wedding scene, it's um, lace. I'm not a fashion designer. Um, she has gorgeous flowers in her hair. Um, yeah. Pearl necklace? Pearl necklace, it's white. Typical wedding dress, I'd have to say. Oscar, really great job. But I, I, you just don't see Meryl in a wedding dress that often. So it's something different. And it's a short wedding dress, right? I think it's short. Oh. I think it's a short wedding dress. It must be. And I think that it's so... Like we talked about the wedding being quintessentially New York. I think the dress very much is. It's very casual, right, for a wedding. Right. She has been married before in the film. Both of them have. Both of them have. And they both talk about how this is just kind of like a second lease on life. And they're not going to take marriage too seriously. And I think that the um, the dress definitely does that. Sorry, I didn't mean to 
over Stap Oscar. I think it's a great choice. It's also she's in the poster of the movie mm-hmm. with this on, and he is on his in his wedding garb as well. Okay, and so for our final segment, this week in Merrill, Oscar, tell us about what Merrill has done this week. Um, it was recently Stephen Sondheim's birthday, 90th, if you can believe it, (laughs) and her, along with several other um, famous theater actors, Mm -hmm. uh, had a little concert for him, mm-hmm. and she performed a song from. It was "Ladies Who Lunch." From Ladies Company. Who Lunch from Company mm-hmm. with Christine Baranski and. Audrey McDonald. Audrey McDonald. Yes, and what was your reaction? We were watching the Stephen Sondheim concert in our living room. In our living room. On the TV. On the TV. For the whole family to watch. The whole family was there except our mother, um, and. We were anxiously waiting. We were actually started the concert before we knew Meryl was going to be there. Right, and we're like, what if Meryl comes? Just, like, we didn't know she was going to be We were like, would that be so cool? Because maybe, because she was in a, Into the Woods, obviously, mm-hmm. a Stephen Sondheim musical. Mm-hmm. And she's a theater actress. She started her career on the stage. So you're both like, that'd be so cool. And then I checked Twitter, and I was like, oh, she's coming. She's coming. She's coming. She's Literally coming. us in mm. Devil Wears Prada. She's coming. She's coming. We had to prepare for her. Um, and we were anxiously waiting. And I will say the guttural scream <laughs> I, I made when Meryl Streep entered, entered the Zoom video of Christine Baranski shaking a martini. Um, and lounging in a white robe. In a seemingly empty room of her house. <laughs> With, with a, a printer. With a printer. <laughs> I love seeing Meryl Streep's printer. Meryl Streep's printer humanized her in a way that I think nothing else has. Like, what has been printed on that? Think about the <laughs> scripts. Literally. Wow. Oscar, you really blew my mind with that one. Um, anyways, the scream that I did admit did scare our father so much that he did seem to jump almost off the couch <laughs> and looked at me in a very, I would say, disgusted, accusatory way. Um, but I think it was stunning. Right? Straight up stunning. And her... So it seems like they recorded it live on Zoom. That's what it seemed to me. Christine Baranski, obviously, will probably talk about her in the Mamma Mia episode, which I'm sure the audience is clamoring Maybe Into the Woods she'll show up there. I think so. And again, those episodes are going to be big. I'm sure our fans are really... Those might be, like, our 50th episode or 100th episode because I'm sure we'll get Is her filmography that big? 100? Maybe um, an episode for each big little lies. Mm. Um, anyways, so I think that Christine Bransky, she started off and I was like, okay, here we go, right? right. Meryl Streep comes in. She's has her glasses. iconic glasses. Iconic glasses that she takes her out when she hair, reads course. her speeches. She looks like she's just chilling at home, having a great time. She was chilling at home. Shaking that shaker, which I would say did impede her audio for a little bit, but she didn't care. It was about character. She had a seagull kind of um, statue in the background, I would say, and besides that, very little in the room. Um, and she brought probably the most character out of all the three. Not that we want to pit women against right, each other. Right, but. right. We don't want to pit queens against each other, and I will say that they're all queens. For I sure. don't think we'll discuss Audra McDonald 
any other time on this podcast. So we may as well do it now. Audrey McDonald, stunning theater actress, I think underrated. Stunning voice. voice. Just what a... Just legend of the stage, right? Has the most Tonys, I believe, of any actress. Um, and I think that she, she's she been in, like, Beauty and the Beast, yeah. right? But she is largely underrated for people who aren't familiar with musicals. Like, you know, we are. Um, <laughs> okay. But when Meryl Streep got in there and we were all, whoa, and Audra came in, we were all, do oh. you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I just felt that everything was complete. For once in this quarantine, I felt at peace. For sure. And I want to thank you, Meryl Streep. Again, I'm not sure of your middle name. We should have done that homework before we got on this podcast. For the next episode, we will know her middle name. Yes, we will. That's our promise to our audience. We will know her middle name. I promise. Um, As Meryl Streep scholars. And I just want to say thank you, Meryl. Thank you to everyone who's in that concert. Thank you. Our whole family loved it, including our father, who does not like musicals. Talent, panache, um, just really brought a light to our quarantines. So thank you guys for that. And with that, I think that that is pretty much our first episode. Should we talk about what our next episode? Is I like? think we should talk about what our next episode is. Oscar, what are we gonna do? Uh, postcards from the edge, nineteen ninety. Is it one? I think it's nineteen ninety one. Nineteen ninety one We'll get a fact check on that. A, talk about real a quick. Picture. Talk about a picture. What a picture. A picture. A motion picture. A motion picture, to um, be exact. <laughs> um, 1990. Crap. Idiots. Um, stunning film. I think it's more well-known than Heartburn, for sure. We're sticking mm-hmm. in that late 80s, early 90s, where she's kind of in a career flux. Right. She's moved away. She hasn't had an Oscar in a few years, and she hasn't hit her early 2000s run of Mamma Mia and Devil Wears Prada, where she really comes back into the... the- Blockbusters and the blockbusters <laughs> major major <laughs> moment for her. Um, but postcards from the edge, I think is has just as many iconic scenes, and yeah. if not more, and, and yet it's underrated. I would say and it's yet not it's still quite as popular as not quite as popular as it deserves to be. Directed by Mike Nichols, starring a stunning performance from Shirley MacLaine. Mm-hmm. It is also, I think, importantly, based off of a real-life story. Um, just like how this was about Nora Ephron's relationship with her ex-husband. Mm-hmm. This is about... Carrie Fisher's relationship with her mother. Yes, Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. Um, again, semi-autobiographical, I guess we can say. But, I but think... the connections to real-life celebrities is very clear. I will just say, Dennis Quaid, and I'll just say it, this might be a spoiler. Dennis Quaid plays such a convincing Harrison Ford... That I found it um, interesting in a number of ways. I think Mm. he's extremely hot. I think we should make that clear. He's also extremely infuriating in a way that only, I think, Harrison Ford in that late 80s, early 90s way can be. Um, So anyways, please, if you want to, I don't know, if you're interested, watch that film. It's on Amazon Prime. No, it's not on Amazon Prime. It's on that weird, like... It's for free, right? That yeah, we saw. Some... It's on some free website. We have like a Roku TV, and you can just like search it. I don't know. In our next episode, we can like make that clear on what it was yeah. watched, which kind of defeats the purpose. But it is for free online with ads. Um, if you want to watch it, watch it w- without even us saying it. It's a really good movie, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that our audience of I would say what two people now? Two. We've gone down to maybe three. one. Mom's on there. Mom, I want to shout out to you. I know you finished this. Um, Thank you so much for listening. It's really 
nice if anyone has. I don't expect anyone to. Do you agree, Oscar? For sure not. Um, but we love talking about Meryl, and we hope that you guys like listening. If you like this episode, I guess let us know and tell us what movies you want us to watch next. For sure. Because we will be watching all of them eventually. We'll be doing this until she runs out, and then we gotta say Meryl and gotta time to make more. Um. So Go yeah. Ahead. Gun to head. Meryl Streep, make more movies, period. Okay, Meryl Streep, I hope you're doing well. It was so, I think it was so good to see her in that Stephen Sondheim concert, just to know that she is well. The connection we had. She is healthy. She is okay. I worry about her sometimes. She is in that at-risk group. Um, Meryl, I'm so glad you're okay. Everyone, please stay safe out there. Stay at your new houses. And um, I don't know, we'll see you on the other side. Tune in next week. Bye!